This is the Arm Subject Matter Expert Podcast, hosted by Justin Poulin. Tune in every month as we speak with industry experts to highlight success stories and solutions from the field that advance the healthcare supply chain. And now, Justin Poulin with this month's expert. Justin Poulin here from Power Supply, live at ARM23 in Orlando, speaking with Alyssa Kangas, Senior Director of Contracting and Procurement at CentraCare. And this topic that we're going to be talking about now is one that I particularly like, having a nursing background. I love hearing about clinical integration and clinically integrated supply chains. But we're going to talk about how this can help us achieve greater contract adherence. And so, you know, getting the clinicians on board with our contracts, the terms, and making sure we're getting the most out of those agreements with our supplier partners. Alyssa, thanks so much for coming on. Thanks for having me. So why don't we start with just clinical integration? What does that mean to you? And, you know, how do you engage providers to be successful with initiatives in general, not just contract adherence? So early on in my career, supply chain had a reputation of just wanting the cheapest. And that has changed. We don't want the cheapest. We want the best value. To do that, you need clinical input. Typically, people in supply chain don't have a real deep clinical background. More and more teams are getting that those clinical staff, it's really important in order to make those contracting decisions to hear the voice of your clinicians, providers, RNs, LPNs, anybody who really work with the patient. So we talk about getting the most value, and I definitely like repositioning that, especially for clinicians, about Listen, it's not about the cheapest because the cheapest isn't necessarily the least expensive, you know, and I think you have that fiduciary responsibility in supply chain to make sure that there's enough margin that the healthcare organization can thrive, right? So how do you convey that message to clinicians so that it aligns with sort of their mission as well? Because they may not care so much about the finances as they're delivering care on the front lines, but as you're describing, there needs to be some collaboration so that, yes, they get the products to achieve the best possible outcomes, but they also need not put the organization in a position where it has no money. So one of the approaches I like to take is it's a Franklin Covey concept of seek first to understand, then to be understood. So really hearing the voice of those providers, listening actively and hearing what they're saying But then on the flip side, educating, a lot of them don't know how contracts work within the healthcare industry. So helping them understand that and recognize that the two concepts aren't mutually exclusive, you can get quality at a good price that's going to bring your patients the best experience and the best outcomes. You know, I'm thinking back and I'm, I'm like one of the things I wonder about, you know, even when I worked as a nurse, like you're right, when I left and started working as on the dark side, as nurses say, and it became, you know, a vendor representative. One of the first things I did was join my local arm chapter because I knew fully well I had no idea about the business of healthcare. How do you make that matter to the clinician? By relating it to what's important to them. You know, we often say at Centricare, no, no margin, no mission. If we can't save you know, in terms of costs 
we're not going to be able to provide that state-of-the-art equipment that they want. They want to try the latest and greatest. Well, we need to be able to afford those. So how do we help them connect the dots in their brain that by helping us make these contracting decisions, you're actually helping yourself to get that next best thing. Yeah, that is, I think, a huge insight for clinicians. When you operate in a silo of a certain project or a certain you know, RFP that you're working on, they may not see that bigger picture, but really relating that to, hey, if we spend our money wisely, we can spend more money more wisely. And I think that that is really important for clinicians to understand. I also know, you know, you have kind of a rural area that, you know, your healthcare organization is in. How is that different, especially when you're thinking about how you're connected to the communities that you're serving? Sure. Great question. So I live in a rural community. My parents live in rural communities and I want to be able to provide my family and everybody in our community, their families care where they need it. I can speak from experience, my parents being from those rural communities, it causes stress driving into the Twin Cities. If I can get them to someplace more local, they're more likely to, to follow up on their appointments, to get the care that they need. So how do we in rural communities act fiscally responsible so that we can reinvest into our communities, to bring new service lines, to bring you know, technology that you know, historically you don't see in those small critical access hospitals. But providing that access is important. That's how we make rural lives healthier in general, not just in terms of disease, but just in terms of quality of life. Yeah, it is a big deal to have to travel several, several hours for care. And so to your point, if you spend the money more wisely, you can keep people at home closer to their loved ones when they receive, you know, higher acuity care and expanding those services. And we had a great interview that's going to be in this entire series from the conference on very much like how do we work with rural communities and, and everything. So kind of staying in, in our conversation about engaging the providers piece, what about evidence-based decisions? And how much input do clinicians have on that, you know, as much? And I, I'm assuming this is a big part of your value analysis process. It is. So we're trying to move away from the, I think, I feel, my colleagues do this. We want the evidence. So, okay, Dr. A, that's how you feel. How can we back that up? How can we make more objective decisions so that we are ab adopting those best practices and using the products that we need without getting all the bells and whistles that we don't. Yeah. So as we talk about making evidence-based decisions, like what are some areas of consideration? Like maybe there's several different facets to what is an evidence-based decision really mean? Sure. So we like to boil it down to three main factors. One being patient experience. You know, how are they feeling when they're here? How do they feel when they leave? Because, right, people, people remember how you make them feel uh, versus a specific instance. Patient outcomes obviously play into it. We want our communities to be healthier. And then, obviously, the fiscal responsibility. We want to use our resources to the best that we can. So how do we make responsible, smart 
business decisions. So many times I feel like those three areas exist in their own silos, right? And so they become mutually exclusive sort of assessment points for an organization. How do you get them all incorporated and get everybody into an alignment? Sure. Well, I think it really depends on the type of products that you're looking at and doing the work up front to determine what is the driving factor here. Is it experience? Maybe when you're talking linens, that is driven by patient experience. Maybe it's cost. You know, we can get similar outcomes, but the price points are very different. So doing that work up front to determine, okay, what is our driving factor? So that when it comes to decision time, again, it's more objective versus based on a feeling. So let's tell your success story. I kind of kept this in my back pocket. I didn't tee it up at the very beginning, but you have very much a success story to share with us. Why don't you start with how did it even come about and what got you started? What was the impetus for this? So the impetus is just having a champion within our our clinical leadership staff that wanted to get engaged. He was curious, how can our supply chain help the organization? My predecessor had a similar idea. How do we get those clinicians involved? So really the success started with that curiosity, wanting to learn more and getting engaged. So when that provider leader wanted to get involved, it was getting them connected to our GPO, getting them connected to the resources that we use in supply chain. And then he returned the favor. He got us in front of you know, his providers And that's just slowly grown. I think it's important, in fact, instrumental to have a clinical champion. Ideally, somebody high up in the hierarchy of the organization that has a lot of influence over where the organization is going. Frankly, without that support, I feel like we'd still be in the early stages of trying to to get a foothold into really getting that clinical integration that we need. Yeah. I feel like the engagement, like you get that, get somebody who has the vision part and can disseminate the vision to the people on the front lines. But ultimately it's getting that engagement from everybody, you know, down that organizational structure. And it also depends on leadership type, honestly. And it sounds like this particular provider leader had a great deal of interest, like you had mutual interest in working together. I think that is also a pretty big key to how you're able to pace quickly because it's not trying to convince somebody that this is a good idea. It's two people from your supply chain part of the organization and the provider part of the organization saying, this is kind of an obvious thing for us to do together. Yep. And so with that mutual interest and that you know, rolling down into those two groups, we're now expanding to include our dyad leadership. So at Centricare, we have a, a structure where the top leaders of our sections, you have an operational leader, you have a physician leader. So now both of those leaders are involved in our value analysis committees to really help us blend the two, the two sides, if you will, because really it's one side. We all want the same thing, How do we balance that business need with the clinical need, if that makes sense? It does. My frame of reference for that is having managed sales and service 
you know, as a regional vice president in the past with a service organization. And I've seen that be disrupted. I've seen where sales and service aren't in alignment. And then the healthcare customer is feeling that dissonance and they're definitely having an experience with the service that we're providing. I don't see it as very different in this situation where you have clinical and operational leaders and you have a customer that's going to receive care based on how those two work together and them staying in alignment is critical. I don't know that I always see a dyad leadership structure, neither on the supplier or the provider side very often. Is that something that came about in this project where you started to create that or did you always have it and that's actually what created some of that mutual interest was, hey, we're going to implement this dyad leadership model. And so all of a sudden they were thinking in a new way and they just approached each other. It was it was the second option where they started to redo the organizational structure. And that is what led to some of the light bulbs, the aha moments of, hmm, I didn't recognize that. So having that physician leader with the operational leader more closely connected. I like that you use the word alignment because that's exactly it. Aligning what it is that they're wanting to achieve led them to knocking on our our door and us saying, yes, we've been trying to, to get to you. Let's do this. And now we're, we're on a journey to being clinically integrated. I feel like you're always trying to balance those scales or balance the equation in a way. And I mean, you see this in regular relationships. It doesn't even have to be, you know, the context we're talking about. But when a relationship is imbalanced and one side of the relationship has more influence or power than another, you know, that definitely can create for the side that doesn't feel like they have a voice, some resentment and and actually undermining results from that. And that's, I think, what I love about this dyad leadership structure is there's an equal voice because they're partners, right? It's They're not vying for control or, hey, you haven't listened to our side enough and trying to, you know, push that, you know, that voice forward. Instead, it's we're one voice as the dyad leadership and we can only succeed if we work together. I think that's, that's really great. How does that play out then in value analysis? So you have this dyad leadership. Are they also leading sourcing initiatives for value analysis together? Right now, we're using it more as an escalation point. So if if we can work a project just with, you know, our basic value analysis committees, we'll we'll do that. And if we can get to a decision, great. If it is a high dollar category or it's more complex, we typically bring in some of the higher leadership to help us navigate some of those conversations. Because I doubt anybody who's worked in healthcare supply chain, if they haven't heard this, I would be surprised. Supply chain did this to me. And that is not our intent. We don't want to do anything to anybody except help you achieve your goals. We are a support department, so how do we support you? We want to erase that that perception that it's being done to them. We're all here for the, the good of our patients, the good of the business. How do we work together, rather it being more adversarial? All right, takeaways for me, no margin, no mission, and establishing that dyad leadership structure so there's an equal voice and collaboration and partnership that's being role modeled throughout the organization. This was phenomenal. Any 
best practices or a couple of key points, anything we missed in the conversation before we wrap up? The only thing that I would add is that, you know, there's a thousand different ways that you can approach clinical integration. And one of the things that I've really found beneficial is getting to events like this, the ARM conference, to hear what other health systems are doing. How are they approaching it? Because there's not one magic way. You really need to understand how your organization functions, how your physicians and and other clinical staff work. So get ideas, talk to your colleagues, come to conferences like these and just ask questions, but start the conversation. Yeah, I definitely think that that is the biggest value to coming, you know, to National Arm and events like this is really for just that ability to bounce ideas off of each other. Because you know how it is in the middle of your day. Even if you like send an email, it's just not the same kind of conversation that you can have here with a little bit of separation. I'm sure work bleeds into your your time at ARM. Before we go, one last question. Was there any presentation or anything that happened at ARM so far? I know we're, we're only in really full you know, conference day too, but anything that stuck out to you that you really enjoyed or learned from here in Orlando? Yeah. One of the first sessions I went to was with Monument Health and Curvo. And the reason that I went to that session is because of our clinical integration journey. We're at the point where we really want to get an analytics tool that help us provide the data to our providers in a way that they understand and that they, you know, can easily in a quick snapshot, see how are we doing? And Monument Health had a had a great story of, of how they've approached it and kind of the governance structure that they've put in place. I took several notes and <laughs> uh, plan to have some conversations once I get back home. All right, Alyssa Kangas, everybody, Senior Director, Contracting and Procurement at Center Care, joining me at ARM23 in Orlando. If you missed it this year, no worries, but definitely join us next year. Lots of great conversation, great presentations and ideas like Alyssa just got to be had here. So definitely join us next year. Thanks for having me. Thank you for listening to this episode of the ARM Subject Matter Expert Podcast. For additional resources, visit our website at arm.org. That's A-H-R-M-M dot org. Tune in next month for another edition of the ARM Subject Matter Expert Podcast. Podcast.